But I'm glad that I'm glad y'all are here. I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter one. I'm going to pray over the word because I want to talk about it a little bit before we read the scripture this morning. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for this special season in our life uh, as we approach Christmas. I thank you for everything that we're able to glean and gain from that. I pray that you will help us to learn how to receive from you during this time uh, and not be uh, caught up in other things to the point that they distract us. I thank you instead that you use all of those other things uh, to build us up and to help us walk more closely with you. Uh, bless the word as we read it this morning. Uh, Lord, in, in interpret uh, the message that you've given to me, to every heart today, as each one has need. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you would see through my eyes, speak through my lips, move through my hands, and love through my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are on our second Sunday of Advent, um, which is us looking towards uh, Christmas Day, the coming of the Savior and the word Advent, again, is uh, Latin. It means the arrival or the coming of a notable person, thing, or event. It's been a celebration of the church uh, for uh, going back to the beginning of the church uh, almost. And, and it's the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day, which is 1225. And it helps us focus better and handle this time rightly so that we can receive from it in abundance, right? Jesus said it's better to give uh, than to receive. And so that being completely true, we're giving ourselves uh, to purposeful focus and meditation uh, on who he is and what he's done and the coming of the king during this time so that we'll receive more than we could ever imagine. We'll be the blessed ones who have given of ourselves instead of just looking to receive into ourselves. So last week we were in Luke 19 and we talked about how the king is coming, right? Jesus uh, had, set his, had set his eyes and his direction towards the city of Jerusalem, uh, the, the capital city there. And as he was entering it, we looked at the massive weight of that moment and comparing back into the Old Testament where it was prophesied for uh, thousands of years, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, uh, that a king is coming. You know, God spoke to Abraham and said, in, in your family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. He spoke to David and said, uh, your son will build my house and uh, the scepter won't depart from his hand. It'll be a builder of an everlasting temple and a reign that would go for forever. We read in the book of Psalms, the songs of praise, uh, that this is the day the Lord has made. And we talked about how God had crafted that day just as he crafts every day with such great detail uh, and down to even the minute details uh, so that you could see his signature on it. This is the day the Lord has made. And we'll rejoice and be glad in it. And we saw all those promises and yet the people still had to wait and had to endure. It would seem close. It would seem like, oh, it's almost here. He's about to come. It's almost here. And then it would, there would be other times where it would seem so far off. And, and we experienced that, right? The Advent, the time approaching Christmas, especially as you're younger, there's a, it's almost Christmas. Oh, how much longer till Christmas? You, you, there's, there's a waiting there uh, that we can identify with. 
And so during all this time, the prophets were continuing to say, the king is coming. Remember we read in the book of Zechariah, he said, your king is coming to you. Uh, he is uh, righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, even riding on a donkey's colt. And that your king will bring peace to the nations, that his realm will stretch to the ends of the earth. And because of the covenant he has made with blood, he would free the prisoners. He said, I will free those who are imprisoned in waterless dungeons. And so we see this echoing over and over throughout Scripture that the king is coming. And even in the months, uh, even in the mouths of the people that were surrounding him that day as he's coming into Jerusalem, uh, as they were singing uh, from uh, Psalms 118. And blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And by the way, that in your Bible, if you go back and look at that, it's, it's labeled, it doesn't say it in the scripture, but it's labeled the triumphant entry uh, or the triumphal entry. And, you know, we always used to sing the song, uh, thanks be to God who leads us in his triumph. You ever seen that one? You might not have. Uh, maybe just me. I don't know. Thanks be to God who leads us in his triumph. Thanks be to God. Who's got the victory? You remember it now? Some of y'all been around a little bit longer. Uh, sorry for those that had to endure that if you didn't know it. Um, but I was, we always saying that. And then I, I found out what a, a, a triumphant entry was. Uh, it was when uh, a, a, an opposing army or an army would take over an area. And then the commanding general would take prisoner the people, take them captive from that area that they had uh, won, won over, and then they would enter into either that city or back into their own city in kind of like a parade, a victorious parade, leading the prisoners along with them. Like they're, 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 they're bound and they're hooked to the chariots of the winners. And I was like, well, that's different than what we pictured, right? Because we pictured like, you know, he leads us in triumph. He leads me into victory. But what it's describing there is more of he came, he conquered, and now we are prisoners of him, which sounds weird, but it's actually great because scripture tells us, you know, thanks be to God who leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. And that's in second Corinthians, but he's a victorious warrior. We were slaves to sin and now we're slaves to righteousness. We were servants of darkness and now we are children of light. And so we're glad to be uh, bound to him as he enters in. That's just a little side note. I thought that was really cool. Uh, so last week, as we were uh, going through this in the book of Luke, we, we saw it in a close up view, like the view on the ground, Christ coming into Jerusalem. Uh, and, and then today I want to take a step back and look at it from like the, the drone shots or satellite view, big picture. The king is coming uh, to us because, you know, we, we use in our terminology, well, well when, before I came to Jesus, when I came to Jesus, you know, and, and it's that meeting there. And obviously we know what we mean when we say that, but we want to never forget that he first came to us. Amen. That he came for you. So we're going to be in the book of John chapter one, if I didn't already mention that. And we're going to talk about the son of God eternally existent present in creation who came to us. So looking there, starting in 
starting in verse one. And we're going to read most of this, but we're going to read it in in pieces. In John one, it said in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So we talk about we, Wednesday night, we were talking about the, the accounts of Jesus's birth narrative in Scripture. And we always go to Luke and we always go to Matthew because it talks about when the baby was born and what happened before that. And the wise men and the shepherds and all of those things. And, and we, we kind of set aside Mark and John. I'm like, well, they didn't include anything about that. But what you're going to see in John is the same thing, but from a much, much higher perspective it says that the word talking about Jesus in the beginning was the word. He already existed. He wasn't created. He already existed, was with God and was God. You see the mystery of the Trinity there that, that God is revealing. And we don't have enough time to talk about that today. But it says he existed before creation and everything was created through him. When God spoke the word and said, let there be light, light was. And so the word going forth is the son creating as the father declares. And since everything was created through him, nothing was created except through him. Just in case you, you know, got to miss the first part. And it says the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. What a beautiful line that his light cannot be darkened. It can't be diminished. And so he is the life giver. He's the light bringer. He is the source. We see that. And then in verse six, it drops back down to the ground real quick and says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. So that everyone might believe because of his testimony, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So it's the continuing declaration. The king is coming. The king is coming. John declared the light is coming into the world. Verse 10, he, the word, he the light, he, the life, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So he came into the world. That's the advent that we're talking about. He came into the world that he created. He brought he brought the beauty from above down below where we were lacking that light and life and love. He condescended. He came down when he didn't have to. And it says he came to the world and the world didn't recognize him. And he came to his own and they rejected him. 
And we, and we see that as we go through the scriptures. We've been talking about this when we see him interacting with people. You would see people that just didn't get it at all. It says they didn't recognize him. They rejected him. Why? Partly because he came in such humility. He came with a gentleness and a lowliness. The book of Isaiah says that there was nothing that if you translate, there's nothing just attractive about him in himself. There wasn't anything that was going to draw people to him by how he looked or how he conducted himself. And yet he came into the world that he created as was promised, just like in Zechariah when it said he's coming, he's victorious and he's also what? Humble. I hear you, nephew. You're fine. It says they didn't recognize him in verse 12, but those who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God. He gave them the right and they would be reborn. Well, we, and we all say you must be born again. They would be reborn. He said not by a physical birth, not of anything that would come through human passion or plan, not anything that we could do on our own with all of our energy, with all of our ideas, nothing that we could accomplish in our flesh. He would bring about. And so that starts to clue us in on what he would also talk about in John three, that, you know, if, if for anyone to see the kingdom they must be born again, must be a child of God. See, going back to the idea of triumphal entry, the king comes to save his people from bondage to the enemy and to defeat that enemy, to destroy it forever, to save the people, deliver them from bondage to the enemy that held them captive. But see, our problem, the reason we couldn't do anything about it in our human passion and in our intellect is because the enemy that needed to be destroyed was on the inside of us. The enemy that needed to be taken out was operating on the inside of us. We couldn't remove it. We couldn't separate ourselves from it. It was part of our heart from birth, the drift towards sin and iniquity. We were born into bondage to it, the sin and rebellion against God. Verse, again, looking at verse 12 and 13, he gave us the right to become children of God, meaning that we weren't. We weren't born into God's family. You know, we say, well, we're all God's children. We're all God's creation. And it says for all those who believe and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. We couldn't get there. We couldn't get into the family through our own ideas, our own plans, and our own passions. So how do you kill an enemy that's part of you? Right? How do you kill an enemy that's part of you? We see it when we deal with uh, even medical diagnoses. When we're dealing with cancer and things like that, they're like, we're going to have to give you this medicine that's going to you know, hopefully kill this before it kills you. Why? Because this is a part of you. It's operating in you. It's so close to you that you're going to have to die to kill it. And then hopefully, right, they, they kill it first and then they can bring you back up. That's how it works, I think. That's, what I, that's my interpretation. <laughs> April's not going, that's wrong. So it, I think we're good. <laughs> Medical heresy is okay. Biblical heresy, not so much. <laughs> but, but you see that how do you deal with an enemy that's on the inside? How do you deal with something that's part of 
you and Christ's answer is, you know, you're going to die and be reborn as a child of God. He came so that we would be reborn like he talks about in John three. And like he says here, not a man's efforts, but a birth that comes from God. He was born so that we might be born again. He was born so that we might be born again. And to do this, to accomplish this, to make this happen, because he's God, he's eternal. He had been there since creation began, since before creation was. So how would he do that for us? Look at verse 14. So the word became human. Or yours may say the word became flesh. And made his home among us and dwelt among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He was born like us, drawing near to us and dwelling with us. The story of the Old Testament is God again returning to dwell with his people. God was with his people in the garden. We were separated from him by sin. And then the story there is returning to dwelling with his people. Where he dwells with them, he has dominion and it carries on for forever. And you see that with the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelling with his people. You see it in the temple and then the perfection of it was when Christ came, hung out amongst, but actually tabernacled with us, brought the presence of God back to the earth to be with us, present with us. And it says he was full, full Full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The word there for full means full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, a king like us, flesh and blood like us, but also not with the problem that we had, the bondage to sin. We weren't he he wasn't born a slave to sin like we were born a slave to sin like us, but better than us. That's what all our stories are written about. You see all the stories that are written, uh, especially like superhero stories, any type of hero story where some where, where the, the, the enemy is so big that we can't defeat it. And so what we need is a special one, a unique one, right? Somebody who he's like us, but he's different than us. And there's something special about him. And this is what is going to lead us into victory is this special one. Right. You see it over and over and over and over. Whichever one you want to talk about against Superman, Hunger Games, Harry Potter, whatever. It's the same thing. It's the same story over and over and over again. The enemy's too big. We can't defeat it. We need a special one. We need a special one. And they don't even know they're special. They're just like us. They don't even know they're special. Right. And it's just a story of Jesus over and over and over. We keep telling it. We can't not tell it. Even the people that write them, they don't they say they don't believe. And they keep telling the story. Over and over. And then even then it includes generally also what a sacrifice to beat the enemy. I'm just saying that's side note. That's extra. Full of unfailing love and faithfulness like us, but better than us. The one that we needed. And then it says. Continuing in verse 14, we've seen his glory, the glory of of the father's one and only son. 
Now remember what Romans tells us that sin does. It says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God's glory is the goal. God's glory is the thing that our heart is chasing and sin causes us to fall short of it. We can't reach it. And then it says that Christ came and we beheld his glory. We saw his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Scripture also tells us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We were separated from him, but we were still made for him, made to be with him. And that's our misery, right? That's the misery of sinfulness is we were made to be with him. Sin separates us from him. And that is our misery. That's the misery he found us in. I guess it would be like if you were made to walk on land and all you lived in was the water. It's misery, right? It'll even kill you. But he brought the glory of God close so that we could see it, that we could experience it. The unfailing love and faithfulness of the king that we have been waiting for. The one we had been looking for, the one, the only one that could do what we needed to be done. And it says he came, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 15, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds. This is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before. And we had had the lead up. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. And John was the only one. God sent a prophet ahead of him to say the Messiah is here. He's here. This is him. He even said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a whole other subject about Jesus being the Lamb. Because king he is, yes, but that's not all that he is. You can't hold all that he is in one term or one title. The Messiah, the Savior is here. And he's he, he says he's been for a long time. He existed a long before me, long before you. He's been here since the beginning. Verse 16. Again, this is the Christmas story. It's just not the one we normally hear. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. From his abundance, we've all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. It talks about the law, the law that was given in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and all that came with it. And there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is actually great. Because if everybody would follow the law, think about how things, how wonderful things would be. The problem is what? It's us. We can't follow it. So the law came through Moses. It was good, Scripture tells us, but it couldn't make us good. Hearing for us, don't go that way. That way is death. For some reason, doesn't stop us from going that way. Isn't that odd? It was and is good for us and our perfection. We will keep it perfectly. But remember, our true enemy, the true enemy of our eternal soul lives on the inside of us. It's the sin and the iniquity that lives on the inside of us. And so because of that, we didn't deserve for the king to come to us. 
We didn't deserve for him to come to us. It wasn't like we were his, his children that he loved and we were lost. It wasn't that. We were sinners dead in our sin. And our state of sin makes us a rebel against him. Rebellion against him. We're a traitor to the crown because we would rather sit there ourselves. That's what our sin does. And that makes it sound worse. But that's why he says it's out of his abundance that we've received one gracious blessing after another, that we've received grace upon grace because we didn't deserve for him to come to us. Grace piled on top of grace, the unmerited favor of the king that we didn't deserve, that we couldn't earn, that even if we asked for it, it would be like, no, you, you, you can't afford this. That's what grace is. Unmerited means I did nothing to pay for it. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. And yet I have it. And I tried to think of an example that would go along with that. I've used examples before, but it just more than ever today, just none of them touched it. None of them touched it at all as far as what grace actually is, how big it is in our life that we were like we were. He was like he was. And yet he still came and dwelt among us and not just dwelt among us, but came like us so that he could die instead of us for us, for our sin to make us like him. There is no other example we, we can we can have things that just kind of touch it. Well, it's kind of like this. If you did this, but then somebody did it, but it, it doesn't touch it in, in its fullness. You, you cannot touch it. All the human examples, everyone I would think through. What if it was like this? What if it was like this? What if it was like this? All of them were, were more like mercy and it couldn't ever reach the heart. It was like, well, you owe me this, but I'm not going to make you pay me this. That's mercy. But his grace changes us. It doesn't just forgive us. It doesn't just uh, show us mercy because we were like this and you came to save us even then. But it changes us. It's powerful enough to change us on the inside. And there's nothing else that works that way, that cuts even down to the division of, of, of who I am and then to change it. He came not to modify our behavior, but to transform us into a new creation. The law would be to modify your behavior. That's what we do with the kids, right? Don't do that. That's bad. Don't do that anymore. I'm hoping it'll modify their behavior, but I can't get to their heart. I can convince them if you touch this hot stove, it's going to hurt you. Be afraid of that. So don't touch the stove, you know, fear based behavioral modification. I've got it done. But it doesn't go to it doesn't change anything in their heart. He came not to modify our behavior, but to transform us and to make us into a new creation, into his children. And that's why you can't find anything to compare it to, because there is nothing else like grace upon grace. There is nothing else like it. Nothing else like it. The king came to us, condescended to be like us so that we might be righteous. Righteous meaning that we should, that we would be as we ought to be, that as we would have been in the very beginning. That's why he came. Remember, it said that he is the life giver, that he's the light bringer, the one that the darkness 
couldn't touch. And he came, condescended into the world that he created and his own didn't recognize him. And his own people rejected him. But to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. And from his abundance, we've received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses and God used it, its goodness to show us that we were not good. How broken we were. But it says his unfailing love. Unfailing, never breaking, never running out. His unfailing love and faithfulness came through Christ Jesus. And then the last verse I want to read this morning. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. But the unique one, the special one, the one who's like us, but different enough to be exactly what we needed. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself. God is near the father's heart and he has revealed God to us. This is no one has seen God. How could we? How could we? It says no one can see the face of God and live because why? Because his righteousness, my sinfulness being right in front of that, it just burns me up. But Christ, the king, the unique one who is near the father's heart, he has revealed him to us. He has shown us what God the father is like. If we want to know what God the Father is like, we look to Jesus. The, this physical manifestation of God in flesh on the earth, the king that was promised and expected came. He's been there since the beginning, since before the beginning. And everything was created through him. He's the giver of life, the source of light. And he came so that we could know God our creator, our good and right home, our only rest so that we could know him and not just know who he is, but know him intimately and relationally. He became flesh born like us. Philippians says that even though he was equal to God or even though he was God, he didn't consider it robbery to be like God, but instead he became like us and made himself of no reputation so that he could bring us into the family. From him, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. One gracious blessing after another. He came wearing flesh like us, but showing us the unfailing love and the faithfulness of God. Here's what God is like. He unveiled that for us. He opened that door for us. And we didn't deserve it. That's why it was grace upon grace upon grace. And the, the most gracious blessing that he gave us, the one that all the others come through, is that he gave us the right to become children of God. That's given to those who believe him, those who accept him as that coming king. And just like it said in Psalms, just like they sang when they uh, gathered around him as he was coming into Jerusalem. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Lord who comes to us. We couldn't go to him. He came to us. This is the same thing 
as the Christmas story that we read, you know, and it came to pass in those days, Caesar Augustus declared that a census be taken. It's the same Christmas story, but from a much higher viewpoint. Because see, I don't get to go to, I don't get to go to Bethlehem and see that. I don't get to be a shepherd on the hillside. I don't get to be one of the wise men coming in with gold, frankincense, and myrrh and getting to kneel down and worship him there in that moment. That's happened, right? He's not, he's not a baby anymore. But I can take part in this, and so can you. And it shows you why he came. And we're going to talk next week about that from his own mouth. Why are you here? Right? John, John's writing, this is what he came to do. He came to give, you know, the, the right to become children of God. And next week we're going to talk about when Jesus said, it's for this reason that I was born. This is the reason that I came. Good Lord willing, he may change it, but... This is the reason I was born. This is the reason I came into the world. We'll talk about it next week. It's going to be good. Why don't you stand up with me? We'll pray. We won't close out in singing today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is amazing. That we can see who you are. That in the beginning was your word and it was with you is a part of you. God himself created all things, the life giver of all things, the light bringer into the world that the darkness couldn't dim and couldn't touch. We thank you that we can see that today, that our view of you will be the baby in the manger and also the creator from before the world began, that we will see it on the ground and we will see it from the air. And the more we see you, the, the more our faith will grow and that we can stand even in difficult times, even in trying times, because we understand we have a king that is full of unfailing love and faithfulness who has shown us the glory of the Father and who in him has given us the right to become children of God. It was our misery to need you and not be able to know you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to us when we couldn't approach you. Thank you for giving us the right that we had not earned. Grace upon grace that you would take these sinners and make them holy before you, that you would take these rebels and make them your children. Just like we should have been from the beginning. Thank you that you accomplished what we couldn't in all of our human passion and intellect and trying and abilities. You accomplished what we couldn't. Thank you. And thank you that during this time, as we approach December 25, this day that we've set aside to remember the day that you were born incarnate into the earth. We remember everything else along with it. Where would we be without Bethlehem? Where would we be without the manger? Where would we be if you didn't put on flesh and become like us? We would never have the hope of becoming like you. Thank you that you are God that keeps your promises. Thank you, Lord, that as we leave today, we go in peace and unity together with each other. God, for those who are out from among us today, uh, home or abroad, I, I thank you, Lord, that you bless them where they are, that you bless them, you keep them, you make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. I thank you, Lord, that you are seeing us through this one day at a time, one moment at a time, 
these strange trying times that we live in. I thank you, Lord God, that you will build our faith and cast out fear. Your perfect love casts out fear because it involves torment. I thank you, Father, that even in the face of, of threats and trials, we can be confident in you, knowing that our final result, where, how, wherever the road takes us on the way there, our final result is we get to be at home with you. And that confidence will breed in us a peace that surpasses all understanding that only Christ Jesus can bring. Lord, those that are not well in their body today, for whatever reason, we, we pray for their in rain. We bind the spirit of fear and loose a spirit of faith to see you as you are and act in our life. And Lord, as we go through this week, order our steps, put us in the right place at the right time with the right people. And I thank you that you will build in encouragements for us and then you will plant inside of us encouragement for others and that we will have the wisdom to know the difference. We love you. We thank you for coming as you promised in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Listen, I hope that blessed you today. As you think on him, don't forget as you're headed out, little cards out there, write Spencer a little note. I know he's going to appreciate it. And if you want to help with coats, either drop that in the back or let me know. Uh, and we'll make sure we put some more on some kids. Love you guys. Have a good week.